Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to all of you. Welcome especially to those of you in the overflow this morning and to all of you at the Franklin campus. It is so exciting to remember that we are one church, even though we are now in in several places. God bless all of you. God bless you, Pastor Eric. We're in the middle of a message series entitled Little Books. The word Bible itself simply means little books. We have in our hands a little library, you might say, 66 books, all of them small, but some of them small. Smaller than others, and the little book we're looking at this morning is the book of Jonah. It's hard to find, so everybody close your Bibles. Let's do it the old-fashioned way. Let's do a Bible drill. You ready? Everybody take out your Bible. Do it like this. Okay. Attention. Ready? Pastor Eric, you playing along? You cannot use the tabs in the side of your Bible, Pastor Eric. This has got to be honest. Ready? Jonah is one of those itty-bitty books at the end of the Old Testament. So when I say go, we're going to race, just like in Sunday school. We're going to race. Uh, You're going to go to the book of Matthew or Malachi and just start thumbing back page by page and you'll get to the book of Jonah. Ready? Attention. Draw swords. The book of Jonah. Go. When you got it, lift your Bible up. No kidding? Uh, Steve Rigdon, that's the book of John. I can see that from here. That's John. Yeah. Yeah, Book of Jonah. Everybody got it? Everybody got it? How many of you think you've read all four chapters of the Book of Jonah? That's not a trick. There are four chapters in the Book of Jonah. Four chapters, and we're going to take a look at them. The Book of Jonah is the longest little book we're going to look at in this series, but we're going to break it up into parts this morning, the first two chapters, and then tonight, the second two chapters. I know some of you are thinking, I've read the Book of Jonah. I know this story. I bet you don't. I bet you don't know this story. If the only thing you know about the book of Jonah is the part about the big fish, then you listened well in Sunday school, but you haven't heard the story of Jonah yet. So this morning, let's pay close attention. The amazing and important part about the book of Jonah is that, to be real honest, Jonah is so much like you and me at times, so much like us. He is the most interesting, the most hard-headed, and in some ways the most rebellious of God's prophets. And his story is found in the book that bears his name. Let's take a look this morning at the first two chapters. We're going to read every word because it's not very long. Jonah chapters 1 and 2. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now stop right there. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was a very, very powerful, very powerful nation. They were given to war. They were conquering the world at this time. And you've got to understand that from a Jewish perspective, from Jonah's perspective, the Assyrians were hated. And the city of Nineveh would have been hated by Jonah and and by most of of the people of, of Israel. Verse 3, so Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. How do you think that's going to work out? To get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Now, let's stop right there again. Tarshish is about 2,000 miles, 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. Is that going to be far enough? <clears throat> I don't think so. He bought a ticket, paid the fare, the Hebrew says. He paid the fare, paid the price, and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. 
Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? That's the question he doesn't want to answer at this moment. What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. I fear the Lord is what he says there. The God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to, land, to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. Sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had appointed, ordained, or arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days, three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit, vomit Jonah onto the beach. It was a summer night uh, years and years ago, probably 35 years ago or so. I was probably 9 or 10 years old. Went to the county fair, Simpson County Fair, uh, down in Franklin. I rode with some older friends, some older neighbors, uh, actually a whole lot older. I would have uh, done anything to get out of Woodburn and somewhere where action was going on, and that was Franklin back in the day. Went to the fair. 
I was by myself. Once I got there, of course, my sister and the older folks, that they all dumped me. So I was just this punk kid, 19-year-old kid, walking around the Franklin Fair by myself with, with very, very little money. No money. The only thing I could really afford to do was go inside this really, uh, really strange-looking trailer, which was a haunted house at the fair, just a haunted house thing. It's the only thing I could afford, and I couldn't just walk around all night looking like a, a, the dork that I was. So, so I, I bought two tickets, and, and I gave the two tickets to the man outside, which turns out to be the scariest thing there was that, that creepy carnival dude right there. Um, but I paid my tickets, and I went in by myself. Again, nine, ten-year-old kid walking in this haunted house. When I stepped in, the first thing was the smell. It, it smelled like fear. It smelled like Dracula's castle. I mean, this was something. I walked in. It was pitch dark. Couldn't see anything. And inside, it was just a, like a trailer. There was a maze of, of just darkness, just darkness, a really narrow hallway. And I just started down the hallway. This was the scariest moment of my life. I just started down through there all by myself. And I started saying the Lord's Prayer like I was Catholic, our Father who art in heaven, just saying anything. I was so scared. As it turns out, in this haunted house, there were triggers in the floor. It wasn't really a high-tech thing. These triggers in the floor, if you stepped on it, all of a sudden you'd get to a place and a light would come on and there'd be something scary there. Just It was all fake. So I stepped on the first trigger. I didn't mean to. It's in the dark, but I stepped on it. This light came on. A buzzer went off, and there was just this cat. Just this cat. It was just a stuffed cat. But it scared me to death. I mean, the light comes on, the buzzer goes, and then it's gone, and then you're back in the dark. And it's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was walking through the haunted house. I made it all the way through. I was scared to death. It was all fake, though. You'd step on a trigger, a light bulb would come on, and there'd be something. But it scared me to death. Everything scared me. At the back, though, when I got to the very back, I stepped on the trigger again. A light came on, and there was a real guy. It wasn't fake, a real guy. Blah, 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 blah. And I mean, it scared me so bad. It's just going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I was just screaming. I could have cried. And then the guy, blah, blah, blah. Tim. That's what he said, Tim. I mean, he knew my name. He said, what are you doing? I thought, I'm wetting my pants, man. That's what I'm doing. Who is it? Who are you? He said, it's Tony Davis. It was a kid from my church. It was just another kid from my church. I said, Tony, what are you doing in here? He said, I'm working. You want to work? I said, what do I have to do? He said, you just stay right here where I am. You put on the mask and you put on the robe. Just jump out and scare people. I said, really? He said, yeah. So he put the robe on me. He put the mask on me. And he left. (laughs) You would get in this little cage. You were behind the cage. And and I just sat there. And for a while, it was really scary. I mean, it's dark. It's dark. I'm sitting in the dark waiting. And then I can hear people coming. And I can hear them screaming. I can hear them get to the cat. I could hear them get to all those things. The lights would come on. And all of a sudden, they got to me. They stepped on the floor. The light came on, and I jumped out. They screamed. They cried. They ran away. It was the greatest thing. It was the greatest thing. I stayed in there all night long. I loved it. I loved it. I got brave. I came out of my cage, and I chased people through the halls, man. I chased them. 
But here's the thing. When I first walked into that haunted house, it was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. When I first walked in, it smelled like Dracula's castle. After about four hours, it smelled like Dracula's toilet to me. You know what I'm saying? This place was lame. After I sat there a while, there was no more fear involved in it. I I was completely used to it. I I had been exposed to it long enough where it no longer had any kind of power over me. Before long, I'd go out, get a Coke, I'd come back, I'd walk through there, the cat would be there, I'd just keep on walking. I mean, it was nothing to me. I got used to it real quick. I bring this up because I have this feeling that for a whole lot of people, church gets like that. For a whole lot of people, religion becomes like that. There was probably a point in your life, I would say, when you were very, very excited about Jesus, very excited about your faith. If you've never had that kind of moment, please see me after the service. I would love to talk to you about your salvation. But if you've ever come to know Christ, there's probably some time in your life when Christ had great power over you and you had great fear in your heart for God. I don't mean fear like me in the haunted house. I just mean this great respect for a God who is holy and a God who has sovereign authority over your life. The God who made heavens and the earth and will humble himself to come down and have fellowship with you. I'm talking about that God. There's probably a time in your life when you would pick up the Bible and you would read it and it would mean something to you. You would read it, you would read God's word and you would see what God had for your life and then you would adjust your life accordingly. This is the ordinary life of faith, friends. This is what I want you to understand. The things of God have great power and there should be in our hearts a great fear, a great respect, a great love for God. But I'm looking at a Sunday morning crowd, uh, aren't I? I, I'm looking at you folks, and you've been doing this now for years and years and years. Maybe at one point when you came to church, it meant something to you. But now, let's be honest, some of you are way over that. You've gotten over that. Church for you now has become a rather routine sort of thing. Your life of faith has become a rather routine thing. A couple of weeks ago, I went up to Western where my wife works and got my flu shot. Have you gotten your flu shot? Some of you need to. You need to get your flu shot. I got my flu shot. It's amazing. You know how flu shots work? In order so that I will not get the flu, what do they do? They give me just a little bitty bit of the flu. They shoot flu into my arm. I would think I got a little bit of flu just shaking your hands this morning. You understand? I shouldn't have to pay $25 for a little bit of flu. But that's how the flu shot works. They give me just a little bit of the flu. Just a little bit of the flu. And that little bit is enough to expose my body to it. Therefore, the chances are less that I will break out with a full-blown case of it. I've been inoculated from the flu because I have just a little bitty bit of the flu in me. Interesting. My feeling is there are a lot of people who are inoculated from faith, inoculated from Jesus. Some of you probably fall into that category. You've got just enough religion 
to make sure that you never break out in a whole case of it. You understand what I'm saying? You've got just enough of an exposure to the Bible, just enough of an exposure to preaching, just enough knowledge about God that you're very, very casual now. There's very little danger of you breaking out with a whole full-blown case of being some kind of fanatic. Understand, you've got just enough to get you to church on Sunday, but not enough to, to actually interrupt your life. You're inoculated from faith. This is how Jonah was. Of all of the prophets, of all of the people in Scripture, this is a very, very interesting man. He is a prophet who will not preach for God. This is a prophet, a man who says, I fear God, but obviously he has no fear of God in him. There's something about Jonah. He is a prophet in name only. He is a religious man in name only. If you follow his life, you wouldn't see anything about his life that would make you think he belongs to God, except the fact that he says he does. Honestly, it sounds like a lot of us. It sounds like me at certain times in my life. Sometimes we are Christians in name only. The only thing that would let people know that we know Christ is the fact that we say we know Christ. The fact that we show up at church, there's something profoundly wrong with us when we become Christians in name only. One of my favorite preachers is Craig Rochelle, and Craig Rochelle talks a lot about what he calls practical atheists. He says that on any given weekend, he preaches to a lot of practical atheists. Now, he's talking about church people, and what he means is this. They don't say that they're atheists. Everybody he preaches to would say they believe in God. They would never say that they're atheists. They say they believe in God, but they live as if they have no God. This is Jonah. It's kind of a Jonah syndrome, and honestly, it creeps into a lot of our lives. It's that inoculation from faith. It's having just enough religion to keep you comfortable, to make you think that somehow God's going to be satisfied with you because you've given him this much. What are the symptoms of of this kind of syndrome? What are the symptoms of a person who's kind of a practical atheist? I'll give you three. Number one, it's like Jonah here. He may be a prophet. He may say that he fears God. But Jonah wants nothing to do with God. He wants nothing to do with God. How can I say that? He's a prophet. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. He's a prophet. And God speaks to Jonah. And when the sailors ask Jonah, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I believe in God. Here's the funny thing. He doesn't fear God. He says he fears God. He says he worships God. But Jonah is no worshiper. He does not worship God. He obviously does not fear God. When God says, Jonah, I want you to do this, what does Jonah do? He runs from God. You cannot run from God's presence and call yourself a worshiper. A worshiper is one who loves to be in God's presence. Someone who knows God and loves God wants to have everything to do with God, but that's not Jonah. He's not a worshiper of God. He's not a follower of God. He wants nothing to do with God. Now, he may say that he believes in God. He may tell people that he's a prophet, that he's a believer, but he isn't. He doesn't live that way. The audio and the video of his life don't match up. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are a lot of people like this. They seem to be religious. They call themselves religious, but honestly... They want nothing to do with God. Jonah doesn't respond to God. 
until he's at the very bottom of the ocean. He doesn't pray to God. Honestly, it has nothing to do with God. Next thing you notice is he wants nothing to do with God's word. The story begins with this miracle of God's word breaking into the life of this man who has long since stopped listening for God's word. You understand that? God's word still breaks into this guy, and he doesn't listen, and he doesn't care, and he's not going to obey. It's a kind of miracle that God is still speaking to this clown, but God continues to reach out to him. God continues to speak into his life. Jonah just wants nothing to do with it. When God speaks to Jonah, Jonah does not obey. He does not listen. He runs. He wants nothing to do with God's word. Do you ever see that kind of attitude in your own life? What is your relationship to to God's word? Honestly, this morning I couldn't help but notice that when I asked you to pick one up, most of you didn't even have one. What does that say for you? I, I know that there's nothing magical about carrying a Bible around, but I've always kind of felt that people who read their Bible at home will probably also want to read the Bible at church. And so folks who don't want to read the Bible at church, it just makes me wonder if you want to read the Bible anywhere. I mean, if not here, where? This is what I'm saying. How do we call ourselves Christians if we really have nothing to do with God's word? And to have something to do with God's word is not simply to say that we read it. It's not a matter of simply reading it. You have to do what it says. It's what the Bible says. Be ye doers of the word, not just hearers. You have to read. You have to listen to God's word with the mind to obey. But Jonah doesn't have that desire to obey. He's not going to do what God says. As a pastor, I deal with church people all of the time. And one of the common uh, things I hear from people like you is just simply, Brother Tim, I don't know if God speaks to me. I'm not sure God speaks to me. I don't know if I've ever heard God's voice. And I will always say, of course God speaks to you. God speaks to you all the time. You cannot play this game and say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Of course you know what God wants you to do. You have Everything that you need to be faithful to God today. God is not going to leave you without a knowledge of his will. You have enough to do today. Let's be real honest. It's a whole lot easier to say, I don't hear from God, than to say, I hear what God says. I just don't like to do it. When you listen to God with a heart to obey, you will hear his voice joyfully. And you will follow his voice. Jonah wants nothing to do with God's word. The last thing I'd say is he wants nothing to do with people. You know, God loves people. And whenever God gets a hold of me or gets a hold of you, he's going to break our heart wide open for people. But Jonah doesn't care about anybody but Jonah. Do you notice that? When God says, I want you to go and I want you to preach in Nineveh, it's a wicked city, it's a lost city full of people, full of children dying and go to hell. And Jonah, I want you to go preach to them. Jonah wants nothing to do with that. If the people in Nineveh are going to go to hell, Jonah would happily light the match. He hates them. He hates them. It's clear, as we'll get to tonight in chapters 3 and 4, he hates the Ninevites. If they're going to hell, that's good enough for them, according to Jonah. He does not care about people. Doesn't care about lost people. He just doesn't care about anybody but himself. Doesn't care about what God wants done in the world. Jonah only cares about what Jonah wants. He's in the ship in the middle of the storm and it looks like everybody would die. And everybody seems concerned about that except Jonah. He just doesn't care. 
Is that ever true of you? You ever find yourself in, in a period of your life when you just don't seem to care about much? You don't care about people. You don't always care about the lost members of your family. You don't care that there's a world out there suffering and starving. You just don't care. All you care about is yourself and and what you're going to do next. That's Jonah. It's pretty typical of people who may say they believe in God, but they live like atheists. They live with nothing to do with God or God's word or people. So Jonah runs. Wants nothing to do with God, nothing to do with God's purposes. He runs. In seminary, when you study the Hebrew language, it's very complicated, and I flunked Hebrew. This is the hardest language ever. But when you start Hebrew, the first book you translate is Jonah because the vocabulary is very limited. There aren't a lot of words in Jonah. I'm not talking about the number of words, there just aren't a lot of different words. You don't need a big vocabulary to translate the book of Jonah. And one of the funny parts is that when you talk about Jonah, especially in chapter 1, he's always moving in one direction, and that direction is down. Every time Jonah takes a step, it is further down. He goes down to the dock. He goes down. He pays the price to go down to Tarsus, and then he goes down to the boat. And when he gets to the boat, what does he do? He goes down into the hull. I mean, every time Jonah moves... He's going down. But, but now let's be honest. Chapter 1 is a very active book. Jonah is on the move, baby. Jonah's got money. Jonah's going places. Jonah's buying tickets. Jonah's on Expedia.com. He's booking a cruise. I mean, Jonah is out there, buddy. He is living his life. He is living large. But every move he makes only takes him down. Everything he does. It's a downward spiral. And that is always true when you are running from God. Please understand me. It's always true. When you are moving in the opposite direction from God, the only direction you go is down. Jonah's life begins to go down. He probably doesn't even recognize it at first. He probably has no idea. But before long, it is painfully obvious he's going to be at the bottom. He's going to be at the bottom. Pastor was starting his Monday morning by calling uh, folks who had been visitors at church the previous day. So he got a phone number from a family. He, he called the number, rang a couple of times, and, and then someone answered. And at first it was quiet, and then somebody whispered, Hello. Pastor said, hi, this is Pastor so-and-so from such-and-such a church. Uh, Glad to have you at church yesterday. I I just wonder, who am I speaking to? Whisper. said, Jimmy. said, hey, Jimmy, how old are you? Jimmy whispered, four. Four. Pastor said, "Well, well, Jimmy, it's good to talk to you, but now is your mama at home? Can I talk to your mama? She's busy. She's busy. Pastor said, oh, okay, your mom is busy. Is your dad at home? Can I talk to your dad? Jimmy said, he's busy too. He's busy. Pastor said, okay. Well, are there any other adults in the house? Is there anybody I could talk to, Jimmy? The police. The police. Pastor said, can I talk to one of the policemen? Put one of the policemen on the phone. They're busy. Well, now the pastor's starting to get alarmed. This doesn't sound good. He said, Jimmy, is, is there anybody else there, any other adults I could talk to? Firemen. Firemen. 
Tasha says, well, put one of the firemen on the phone. They're busy. They're busy. Pastor said, Jimmy, what is everybody doing at your house? Jimmy says, looking for me. <laughs> looking for me. He's hiding. He's running. But, but notice how when a person hides, all of a sudden it starts to affect a lot of people. And this is Jonah's story. Jonah is running from God. And the story says right up front, and you just got to see that phrase there. It says, Jonah paid the price. When Jonah got ready to run from God, it says he paid the price. I'm not sure that we ever understand the price that's involved in running from God, but it is a very high price, a very high price. So we're going to read the book of Jonah all the way through between this, this morning and, and tonight. And when we get to tonight, we're going to sort of start all over. After the whole fish thing, you'll see that Jonah gets a new start to go. But you just have to look back and recognize that if he just followed God in the first place, he could have missed a whole lot of mess. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a very high price involved in running from God. And those of you this morning who are not going to follow God, you, you take the name of Jesus, but you're a Christian in name only. You're not a worshiper. You're not, you're not a follower. You're literally going in a direction opposite the one God has for your life. And I want you to understand, you're paying a price, but it's not just you. It's not just you paying a price. Your life literally is in this downward spiral, but other people have to go down with you. And that's the horrible part. You think that it's just your choice to make. You think that you can run from God and it'll be your own little personal thing. But you don't understand, my brother. You don't understand, my sister. You're taking people with you. If you're a dad in this house or a husband and you're running from God, don't you understand how this hurts your family? Do you understand how it hurts your wife that you will not step up and, and be some sort of spiritual leader? Don't you understand how devastating it is in a family when daddy's going to run from God? Everybody suffers. Everybody's paying a price for your stubbornness. And it is a high price. And your family shouldn't have to pay it, but they do. Because when you start that downward spiral, you take people with you. Jonah doesn't intend to take these sailors in the boat. They're not even believers. These guys don't deserve this, but they end up caught in the same storm that Jonah is in. They don't deserve that. Neither does your family. Neither do the people that are in a relationship with you who love you. They don't deserve to have to go down this spiral with you. But they're going to pay the same high price you do. And that's not fair, but it's something that, that comes as a consequence of being in your life. And you're running from God. You're a mama, and you're running from God. You will not follow God. Not a worshiper, not a follower. You would rather go lay in the tannin bed all day than kneel beside the bed of your children and pray for them. There's something wrong with you, woman. Something wrong with you. And your children are paying a price for that. There's a high price involved in running from God. You can see it in Jonah's life, but if you're honest, you might see it in yours. You're paying a price. So is everybody else in your life. It's this little lady, 66-year-old lady named Nita Friedman who lived in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. A policeman came up behind her, noticed that she was driving recklessly. She was kind of weaving. She's 66. She was kind of weaving. So he pulled up behind her, turned on his light. You know what that woman did? This is a good woman, a church woman. But in that moment, she thought, I am not going to jail. So she led the police on a 
low-speed chase. I say low speed because Nita Friedman's a good woman. She never drives above the speed limit. So she led them across two counties, and she never, ever exceeded the speed limit. As a matter of fact, the police chief says, and he was following her, she stopped at every stop sign. She stopped at every red light. She drove like a perfect citizen. The only problem was the whole time, she was running from the law. Do you understand? You can run and, and, and still actually live a kind of a very good life. This morning I'm preaching about running from God. You're thinking, Brother Tim, we're all in church. Why don't you go preach this to people out there? No, I want you to understand that church is a marvelous place to come and run from God. You can run from God and actually live a very, very moral life. And some of us do. Some of us do. You can teach Sunday school and still be running from God. You can actually be the pastor of a church and still be running from God. You can be a beautiful mother. You can be a wonderful, wonderful employee. You can be a very, very good person, but you can still be running from God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that you run from God and it's a downward spiral and you're going to be smoking crack. I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm saying that people like you and me, people like Jonah, who's a prophet, who will tell anybody that he meets that he believes in God, but at the same time, that man's whole life is moving in the direction opposite from God. You can be a very, very, very good person, still be running from God. Downward spiral. Every time he makes a move, it just takes him further and further and further down. Finally, He goes down as far as you can go, literally. He says the roots of the mountains. He is down low. Scripture says God commissioned, God appointed a whale, a great fish, to swallow him up. And finally, inside the belly of the fish, Jonah prays. My goodness, this man prays. He hadn't broke a prayer in years, and finally Jonah prays. Why does he pray in the belly of the fish? Why does Jonah pray in the belly of the fish? Somebody answer me. It's simple. He ain't got nothing else to do. He's got nothing else to do but pray. And when there's nothing else for him to do, then he prays. So let me change the question. If Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish because he had nothing else to do, let me ask you this. Why don't you pray? Why don't you pray? Pretty simple. You got too much to do. You have too much to do. You're out there like Jonah. You are ripping and snorting. You are moving. You got your money. You're you're buying tickets. You're taking cruises. You are on your way, aren't you? But you don't ever, ever pray, do you? You never just stop and and talk to God and find out what his purpose is for your life. You really don't pray much, do you? I mean, let's be real honest. I know you're church people. Do you pray? Do you really pray? It's amazing how people will eventually learn to pray. Sometimes you have to be not flat on your back. And honestly, if, if some of you would tell the truth, you would say, I learned to pray once I was diagnosed with cancer. That's when I really got serious about praying in my life. Some of you would say, I really learned to pray when my teenager turned around and said she hated me. That's when I really got serious about about praying. I mean, honestly, sometimes it takes us being knocked flat of our back before we'll look up and start talking to God. Well, if that's the case, then understand, getting knocked flat of your back will be the best thing that ever happened to you. 
I would say that if you could hear Jonah talk today, he might say that going to the very bottom was the best thing that ever happened to him. Because once he got to the very bottom, there was no other way to go but up. Some of you right now are very, very close to the bottom, but you just won't stop your downward movement, will you? You will not turn back to God. You won't pray. You won't listen to his word. You want nothing to do with God. But I'm telling you, if God is good to you, he's going to eventually knock you flat of your back and it'll be the best thing for you. The best thing in the world for the person who will not turn to God is to be put in a position where they have nowhere else to turn. Now, my question for you is, do you really want it to come to that? Do you really want it to come to that? You're going to run from God and go as far as you can until there's no other depths that you can sink to? Is that your plan for your life? How's that working for you? Is that your intention? Why would you continue to run? Why would you not listen to God when you know, when you know that God's intention is only to bless your life? Why won't you come back to him? Amazing thing happens when Jonah prays. And notice, as I said, chapter one is all about action, man. Jonah's all out there. He is as busy. He is moving. But in chapter two, nothing happens. Nobody's busy. Nobody's moving. It's just prayer. And honestly, it's a pretty good prayer. It's a pretty good prayer. So notice some things about Jonah's prayer, though. I want you to notice what happens when Jonah prays. And it's not so much that God delivers him from the fish. It's not so much about that. That is less than a response to his prayer, to be honest. What happens when Jonah prays is an amazing thing. At the end of his praying, he says to God, God, I will fulfill all my vows to you. At the end of Jonah's prayer, there is a a surrender. There's a giving up. There is a a recovery of the desire to obey God. Okay, God, I'm going to keep every promise to you. I'm going to do everything you ask me to do. I'm I'm going to obey. This is what prayer does, brothers and sisters. I know as children we think of prayer as simply asking God for what we want, and then God gives us what we want. And many of us, we never grow past that. We think that's what prayer is, just asking and getting things from God, as if God were the big Santa Claus in heaven. That's not truly prayer. That's not how Jesus prayed. It's not how those who follow Jesus pray. It's not how Jonah prays either. Jonah doesn't so much ask to be delivered. Instead, Jonah just surrenders to God. In the process of praying, there is this alignment of Jonah's heart with God's heart. In the process of praying, there is this realignment of Jonah's will with God's will. This is what happens when you pray. There is a realignment of your life, a realignment of your heart heart. And suddenly when you pray and really pray, you'll find yourselves beginning to want the same things God wants. And that's why when you pray in that way, God always answers because you're wanting what God wants. You're asking for what God already wants to give. Prayer aligns our hearts with God's heart. Real prayer. He does get delivered though. He does get delivered, but the deliverance comes after he's ready to obey. The deliverance comes when Jonah is ready to go back and do what God asked him to do in the first place. You have to go back to where you were 
when you started running. So let me ask you, where are you running to? When it's you that wants to run away from what God has for you, where do you run? Do you run to work? You just immerse yourself in some other occupation rather than what God has for you? You just get real busy doing something else? Do you immerse yourself in drugs or alcohol? Are you trying to numb the pain with some sort of pills? Are you just simply running by numbing yourself? Where where do you run? Because I I beg you this morning to, to stop. Don't let this go any further. Go back to where you were when you started running. What's the last thing God asked you to do? Go back now and do that. Realign your heart with God's heart. Realign your purpose with his purpose. Deliverance comes for Jonah when he became ready to obey. Lots of times we preach the book of Jonah and it's a story about a fish. It's the way it is in Sunday school. It's the way we present it to the children. you got to tell the fish story to the kids. But you're not children. You're not children. And I want you to understand something very, very important. This is not a story about a man getting swallowed by a fish. That's not what the story's about. And the question when it comes to the book of Jonah is not the question of can a man really be swallowed whole by a fish. That is the question that has distracted people for centuries. It's the wrong question to ask when reading Jonah. The question is not can a man be swallowed whole by a fish. The question is can a man be swallowed whole by God. The question is when you read the book of Jonah, have I, has my life been swallowed whole by God? Does God have me and does God have all of me? Am I worshiping him? Am I following him? Am I obeying him or am I running from him? The message to you today is to stop in your tracks. Stop where you are. Run back to him. Bring your life back to God. Bring him your whole life. Let God swallow you up whole in his love, in his purpose, in his grace. It's not about a man being swallowed whole by a fish. It's about a man who will not allow his life to be swallowed whole by God. I'm asking you this morning to let your life be swallowed whole by God. Pray with me. God, I know there are runners in this church today. I know there are runners within the sound of my voice. They're running from you. They're in church. It seems like a safe place to hide, but Lord, there is no place to hide. And there is no comfort, there's no satisfaction in the life lived in a direction moving opposite from you, oh God. Why won't we learn? God, I pray for men, men listening, Lord, praying with me right now. I pray for the men who are running from you, Lord. They will not step up. They will not come through. They will not allow their lives to be swallowed whole by you, God. I pray that you would knock those men flat on their backs. I pray, Lord, that you would stop them in their tracks. Doing so, Lord, would be such a sign of grace. Oh, God, let them stop running from you. 
Let them run back to you. I pray for women, Lord, women in this house who are running from you, running, Lord, running into all sorts of things, running away from their families, running, Lord, away from you. Lord, I pray that you would take those women and stop them in their tracks. I pray for teenagers, Lord, who are running from you. God, stop them. Put them flat on their backs, whatever it takes, God. Because the worst thing that could ever happen to any of us, Lord, is that we run away from you forever. Oh God, whatever it takes, bring us back to you today. Bring us back. Make us ready to obey you, ready to worship you, ready to serve you. Oh God, for all those running from you today, please bring us back through Jesus.